Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the host that men hate when they agree with him and women, well, they just hate him. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you, uh, well, way pre-recorded because I'm traveling over the next, uh, well, as I'm traveling right now as you're listening to this. In fact, as you're listening to this, I am in Amsterdam. Uh, and then uh, in a couple of days, heading off to uh, Denmark. So... I'm over in Europe, and uh, I'll be that pipe smoker walking around. So if you see me, wave, you know, shout, uh, throw dollar bills or euros or whatever you have. Um, anyway, uh, but it, while I'm gone, in advance of leaving, I prepared two jumbo-sized shows for you. Uh, this week, my guest will be James Foster, who many of you know as Pylorns on the forums and around the interwebs. And uh, James and I sat down uh, a couple weeks ago and recapped our uh, visits to the IPCPR. And uh, James also talks in this about the uh, legislative stuff. Uh, and since he went to the meeting for it, so we get that. You'll get a uh, abbreviated version of, uh, of a mailbag and a rant. And you'll also get music. But you'll have two brand new shows waiting for you every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's when we put a show up. And uh, remember, if you listen on iTunes, uh, they've jumbled the categories around. So <laughs> um, if you're not seeing the feed, you know, just search Pipes Magazine Radio Show. Anyway, iTunes has to fix stuff all the time. Um, we are, uh, I, I will tell you that I'm looking forward to this trip. I've never been to Amsterdam. I've got a few places pipe related that I want to go see while we're in the city. Uh, we've really only got three days while we're there. And the main goal is to, uh, you know, see the, uh, see the museums and the sites of Amsterdam. Maybe we'll get out of, uh, out of central Amsterdam a little bit, but we don't really know. Uh, and then on to Denmark for a, uh, for a friend's wedding and a couple days in Copenhagen after that. And then I'll be coming back home. So there you go. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, uh, finishing up with the, uh, I guess this is really the third of, the third of the focus shows from the results of visiting the IPCPR and joining me for the entire episode, uh, someone you may know as, uh, may know as Pylorns, <laughs> but uh, James Foster, who uh, got stuck, and how'd you get so unlucky that you had to try to hang out with me or kind of hang out with me for a couple of days in Vegas? Well, I wouldn't call it unlucky. Going up to Vegas uh, for IPCPR is a lot of fun. Definitely get to <laughs> sample a lot of uh, tobacco and uh, uh, meet friends new and old. So uh, it was it was fun, and, aside from the uh, the poor industry rag. And and it was uh, it was nice having you there because then you got up in the morning and went to the uh, went to the breakfast, and I didn't have to get up in the morning and go to the breakfast. <laughs> Uh, that's that's true, and I didn't have to go to the evening event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did the evening event, and I will. You know what? I will complain about the breakfast. All right. Um, here's my complaint: the breakfast ends, and then there's an hour of trade show time where that tra where the show floor is only open to the pack committee members or the pack donors or stuff like that. 
Uh, so everybody's supposed to go to the breakfast, and then if you're not a member of the political action committee, you're just supposed to, what, hang out in the lobby or wander around the streets? Um, oh, God, that was frustrating. You know, I'm I'm used to going with, you know, a vendor where I get to go in right away. So having to hang out for an hour and wait to be able to go in was, was a little frustrating. Yeah, well, I got I just took it easy in my hotel room. <laughs> so, all right, you uh, you also went to the uh, legislative affairs update, uh, better known as the FDA's coming to kill us meeting, and what are we doing about it? Uh, so, give us your uh, give us your update, and if people want to read it, they can go to pipesmagazine.com and look it up. You published it on uh, June twenty ninth. Um, yep, it's uh, it's linked on one of my articles on the front page. But um, there was a lot of talk of the it's the T21 or Tobacco 21 kind of focused legislator um, legislation, um, the uh, IPCPR PAC and Cigar Rights of America. They've been continuing to get in front of legislators, not just at the federal level, but also at the state level, and that's to try to stop some of the legislation that doesn't make any sense. Um, they are still very focused on the vaping industry and um, going after that, but there are a couple different bills that they put um, put forward with co-sponsors from, say, like Senator Marco Rubio and 12 other co-sponsors, and then I think we'll see um, Democratic Rep Kathy Castor and Republican Rep Bill Posey. Some of the, some of these things, amazingly, are um, uh, handled by both parties for yeah. for this, which is amazing. Um, mostly in states that are very favorable to um, cigars and, and pipes. But the two bills that are up there are cigar manufacturing and small j- business jobs preservation act. Um, both of those are similar, both in the House and the Senate. Um, I couldn't find, reading the legislation, I couldn't find anything that mentioned pipes or premium pipe tobacco. It was all just cigars. So my fear is when it's all said and done is we're going to have um, a problem with um, pipes, pipe tobacco being lumped in with vaping. It's, oh, it's flavored tobacco. That's, that's my biggest fear. Um, but I did spend a good amount of time um, chatting with Jeremy McKenna. Um, I hadn't met him before. I didn't know that uh, someone had taken over kind of the Sutliff Tobacco um, reins as far as uh, being president of Sutliff Tobacco. Um, but he also sits on the Pipe Tobacco Council, um, and they are going, and, and they actually spoke right before IPCPR. They went and spoke directly to the FDA. Um, spent a little bit of time uh, talking about what makes sense for testing tobacco and consistency, um, what standard equivalencies are. Um, and I asked him, I said, well, you know, is there anything we can do, right? Is, is in media or just the consumers, is there anything we can do? And he said, no, nah, just call and talk to your, um, to your state representatives, your senators and congressmen. Um, focus not only on your local legislation, but as well as your, um, your federal state representatives. Um, the thing is, they spend a good amount of money. The Pipe Tobacco Council is an industry-only council, so it's made up of all the pipe, manu- pipe tobacco manufacturers that are going out there. And uh, they also partner with the Cigar Association of America, not the Cigar Rights of America, but the Cigar Association of America. Yeah. Use the same lawyers and lobbyists. Um, so they, they partner with and try to make sure that the pipe tobacco information is, is included on that, um, the, the bills and the discussions that they're having. Yeah. So uh, a, I remember a, that a little, a little history on the, on the, on what are the three now four key players, um, the RTDA used to be in, uh, IPCPR now the C, uh, the, the PCA, which we'll get into that in a little bit too, um, that's a retailer-based organization. Then there's the Cigar Rights Association, the CRA, which is led by Glenn Loop and is consumer-based but supported by manufacturers and somewhat in the past supported by the IPCPR. 
And then behind that is the Cigar Association of America and the Pipe Tobacco Council, which are two industry groups that operate out of the same office because, uh, you know, honestly, the, the Pipe Tobacco Council has always been the smaller group and has benefited from the work that the Cigar Association of America has done from a manufacturer standpoint. Uh, now, when you look at the Pipe Tobacco Council, uh, I believe all of them, except for one member, also own some sort of or or are affiliated with some sort of retail organization, you know, retail branch. So the the Pipe Tobacco Council, those people there really do understand the yeah you know, they understand the the entire integration of the market, um, and of course all this only affects America, except. <laughs> Here's how it works globally. If a product is very popular in the United States and gets beat up a little bit on, it may go away. So, you know, it, it won't be available for export. But go ahead before I interrupted you. <laughs> um, and, and at the same time, Jeremy told me that he actually, they actually had the FDA people up in, uh, in Richmond and take a tour of the factory and see the factory. That's pretty promising. I have heard, and I forget which pipe maker told me, that they've actually had the FDA visit them several times and have them walk into their garage and see how they made pipes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's going on as well. Um, what do you think about the grandfather date of, of uh, 2007? I'm, I kept hearing people say, oh, it's going to get pushed back, but I haven't heard anything else about that. And I'm, and I'm afraid from some other people that it's not going to get pushed back. So that's even more important for us to get a hold of our members of, uh, our members of Congress and say, Hey, you know, uh, you know, we, we understand there's legislation, but at least maybe, you know, let it be reasonable that we don't have to roll back 13 years of calendar. Yeah, and, and, you know, they're, it's not like they're sitting on their laurels trying to get this stuff pushed back. Um, because you're going to see, if, if it happens, if that, it's a predicate date, right? So if, if, if that happens in 2007, there's a whole bunch of products that are just going to disappear. You know, it's like yeah. half the show floor was new cigar brands that will be gone because they can't, and they, they're boutique and they can't afford to pay the testing and the regulation for new product, et cetera. They just haven't been around. They're going to fold, um, and there's a lot of pipe tobacco that could disappear too, as far as some certain blends and things like that. Um, but I mean, I, I took it; it was an interesting update. He's like, um, in ten weeks, they'd had 65 different meetings with members of Congress, yeah. um, and talked to them all about what constituted a premium cigar, or pipe tobacco versus a cigarette or vaping, and really tried to do a lot of education there um, to try to exclude cigars and pipe tobacco. Um, but again, what, what I see is while the conversation is, Hey, we need to, this is what premium tobacco is. There's premium pipe tobacco. Here's cigars. What ends up in the legislation is cigars. Now they're one, yeah. they're the ones that are big, the bigger dog, right? So the focus is on them, but I'm, I'm, I have a fear that we're, we're relegated to, um, the lesser of them and it's going to cause problems. Well, and then the other reason why they don't want to move the predicate date from an FDA standpoint and from an ATF standpoint and from all the states is that predicate date would eliminate all almost all electronic cigarettes and vaping products, and it would eliminate almost all the fake pipe tobacco that's out there being sold as, you know, all the roll-your-own cigarette tobacco that's being sold as fake pipe tobacco because there's no clear definition of what pipe tobacco is so uh so that you know that from a governmental standpoint that 2007 predicate date you know really does kind of make up for a couple of other problems that are out there yeah that's uh that's very scary yeah uh let's, so, now that we've scared people to death let's take a break right here when we come back we'll talk about some of the fun stuff that we saw and we'll talk about the name change and we'll talk more with james and james and i'll give you more stuff that uh that wasn't put in recording or written down so stay with us we'll be back in just a minute this is internet radio a savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations 
For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, hanging out with James Foster, Pylorns. Yeah, did I ever ask you where the name Pylorns came from? Hmm, I don't know. Um, is, is that it a came state from a secret? Long time ago. <laughs> and it came from a long time ago in college um, when, um, you know, this is early internet days it just just was available and uh it was like oh you need to have a handle and so i was like well what's like fire and horns and pylorns that stuck <laughs> it stuck and now you have to live with it and it's unique so there's that yeah all right um what what are your thoughts? I, I've talked about the name change to the Premium Cigar Association. I've talked about how I sat there at the meeting in the front row when it was announced and had my pipe in front of me. And I've talked about at the announcement meeting how yeah, even the the uh, the big boss of the of the uh, Premium Cigar Association now the big boss even mentioned pipes and pipe tobacco in his discussion. Uh, your thoughts? Anything? Anything? Uh, anything illuminating? Um, I think one of the funniest things was um, they, um, they when they did the announcement, they they said, "Hey, you know, yeah, we're removing pipes from the from the PCA as far as in the name, um, but it's in the tagline." So can they do this grand reveal and they, they do this whole video and everything, and the tagline under it. I'm thinking, oh, it's going to say Premium Cigar Association and Premium Tobacco or whatever. No, it just says Premium Cigar Association. <laughs> I couldn't find any other tagline that says and Premium Pipe Tobacco, etc. None of that existed. Um, <laughs> and it's funny, um, when I was chatting with um, Beth, over, Beth over at SMS Pipes, um, she's like, yeah, they really need to just put another P in there. Uh, and it was funny because when I was doing my uh, my article, I went and did a little Photoshop and it previously added that in, the PP, yeah. PPCA. <laughs> Premium Pipe and Cigar Association. Uh, did you talk to anybody on the show floor that was, like, really pissed off about it? Um, yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of the vendors... Um, I, there's a couple of things that were interesting that I don't think I chatted about in my article, and that was really about the the vendors that are there, the boutique shops, um, and it was complaints about CigarCon. Not really the name change, but it was more complaints about the Consumer Day yeah. um, that was coming up. And, and most of that really was, all right, if you have 4,500 consumers there and you're giving away free samples. Well, how do you afford to give out that many free samples? And if you don't want to participate in um, that day, um, then you don't get booth choice, like good booth choice to have a booth in a prime location. Um, and then if you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to participate, they didn't have a whole lot of information available. They didn't have anything locked down. So, that was a lot of the complaints from the from the vendors and the manufacturers that I talked with. Now the big manufacturers loved it because again they get a chance to have consumers come around. Um, but the the general feel was not overly positive, unfortunately. Yeah, I um, I kind of I kind of felt that this cigar con or consumer day and a half that the association was kind of making it up as they go. <laughs> they got approval to do it from the board and they've got the basics of the ideas, but really the details really haven't been thought through because uh, you're right now they've, they've already done the booth selection for next year. But if you don't want to be involved in the event, what are they going to do? Move you to a back, a back area and shuffle the, you know, shuffle the exhibit floor around again. Um, and, and then the one comment that I got from a couple of retailers is, you know, they, they love their customers to death. And yet, at the same time, they really don't want to be spending a whole day in Las Vegas walking the show floor with their customers when they would much rather be 
uh, spending that day working on, you know, finding new product or new deals or stuff because there can't be any pricing put out during that time. There can't be any uh, discussions of, you know, of deals or anything like that. Uh, so, but they just said that, you know, really to, to come out to Vegas and spend an extra night or two in a hotel to uh, spend time with your best customer is uh, not something that a lot of them are looking forward to. Um, well, yeah, and I got I, I heard some clients from other retailers that were talking about that as far as um, not, not they, they said, okay, it'd be fine to have my customers out here, but don't do it at the very beginning of the show. Um, some of the retailers I know, they go specifically to the pipe manufacturers. Like they go over to the Rango booth and go um, chat with the, the you know, Nording, with uh, Knut Nording, and they pick out all their pipes because those go fast. And what you see is what you get as far as his table. Um, so they go and pick out that, and they make it around to all the pipe manufacturers because they know the cigars are going to be there, but the pipes um, that are on the floor a lot of times are what's available for the show. Yeah. Um, so they were frustrated, like, oh, well, I'm going to have to spend the first six hours with, um, you know, chaperoning my uh, my customers around versus doing business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, so really the second day of the show is going to become the first day. Uh, you know, that, that'll really be it because there won't be any – I can't imagine any of the pipe manufacturers putting out – all these pipes and then having to stand there while a bunch of cigar consumers are walking by all day for eight hours. Uh, yeah. You know, why not just leave them under the, leave them locked up somewhere and take the day off and go sit by the pool. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what I'd do if I had total control over my company. But of course, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these companies will actually bring out and set up and have staff there just to watch the product and talk to the few people that may come by to talk about pipes. But again, during that full first day and a half or so, the evening event and then the full day on the show floor, they're talking about no, you know, no trade business whatsoever. It's just a consumer interaction event um, from a from a pipe consumer standpoint. You know, if you're if you're having to pay all that money for, uh, you, I guess you get a clump of cigars. Each consumer gets is going to pay a thirty, yeah, thirty-ish cigars. Well, they're going to like pay a Disney wristwatch type thing. <laughs> are are they going to get a little scanner thing where they go around to each booth and get the and get the cigars? Yeah. And then I've yeah. you know so so anyway, there's a predetermined amount of cigars that you're going to get for an undetermined amount of money for that time, and then you're supposed to go around all these places. But if you're a pipe guy. Um, you know, fine. The cigars are great. You'll get them. You'll smoke them. You'll give them away to friends. You'll use them as fertilizer or whatever. But, you know, in reality, for us pipe smokers that may want to go out to the show, yeah, you'll get a chance to see some pipes, but you're not going to see much more than in total than what you see at the Chicago Pipe Show, really. Yeah, because the same vendors are going to be at the Chicago Pipe Show. Yeah. For the uh, most part. No, I mean the only the honestly, I think the only vendors that will that will bring a bigger display to the IPCPR or the I'm sorry, the Premium Cigar Association, uh, <laughs> the the only vendors that will bring a bigger display to that show versus the Chicago Pipe Show is, yeah, I I guess. Well, you heard me talk about my visit with Dunhill and the incredible amount of pipes that they had out on their tables. Uh, Nording had uh, 16 tables full of pipes. Uh, so there is, yeah, there's five or six that are going to have more, but you're going to get the core. Yeah, you're going to get the core of them in Chicago. So can you think of any other reason why any of us pipe guys would want to go to the Cigar Con in Las Vegas next year? No, I mean, the only reason to be is if you smoke cigars, but be aware that, you know, this is, this is going to be a 300, $400, $500 ticket. $1,000. Uh, we don't know. Yeah. $1,000. We don't know. They didn't, they didn't tell us. They said it was going to be expensive. The consumer was going to pay for it. They could only get their tickets through their local retailers. Um, and the retailers would have to peddle them. And, you know, there was a mixed bag there. 
Yeah. So again, I, if I'm if I'm a pipe guy and I'm looking at this and I'm ninety nine percent pipe, you know, pipe dominated, I'd be like, yeah, forget it. I'll just save my money and I'll I'll spend it at the Chicago Pipe Show. Exactly. Or if you're on the West Coast, you go to the West Coast Pipe Show where you'll see less pipes, but it's a whole lot less expensive to get into because it's only 15 bucks for the weekend. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let's take another break here, and when we come back, we'll talk more with James and I about the uh, final of the IPCPR. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And I guess for, for the last time ever, I'll call it the IPCPR. But uh, James Foster and I got to go there. You know, I was actually at the, uh, you know, I was working for the Trade Association when they switched from RTDA to IPCPR. So I'm happy to say that I was there for the end of the RTDA, the birth of the IPCPR, the end of the IPCPR and the birth of the PCA, but uh, anyway, any other uh, any thoughts, comments? Um, so you know, um, I think at the the previous segment we uh, we said, "Oh, let's talk about positive," but no, we just uh, <laughs> we just pooped all <laughs> over the PCA. <laughs> We've been negative. I I think talking um, about a lot of the fun stuff um, and the and the good industry news is is going to be great for this uh, this next segment. Um, and, and my question to you is because I spent a ton of time um, chatting with a bunch of people. And, in fact, I was going to try to fly out um, and get to the airport early um, and ended up sitting down and having a little bit more time with uh, Chris Gawith. So I ended up staying to the, the entire um, rest of the Sunday that I didn't expect to um, just to get a couple of interviews. So I missed the chance to go and chat and get a, um, a little bit of audio with the White Spot Dunhill guys. Yeah. Uh, but you spent a little bit of time there. What was some of the fascinating stuff? That, cause I saw you taking some pictures of a couple interesting pipes. What was what was standing out there? Uh, well, as, as I as I said in the uh, in the little visit with Calman uh, from uh, from the White Spot or Alfred Dunhill's White Spot, uh, this was the biggest the biggest display of Dunhill pipes that I have ever seen at a at a trade show. Uh, they had more pipes. They had the really interesting older 1928 designs um the uh the lbs or the oda lines um it looked like they had really spent a lot of time focusing on what is popular which is the shell briar in classic shapes and putting out plenty of them to uh you know to satisfy the market uh because sometimes i'd some years I'd look at Dunhill and you'd and you'd go to you'd go and see their display of stuff and you'd look at it and go, well, all right, there's amber flames and handmaids and collectors and DRs, and here's a few shell briars. Uh, so it was really cool just to see that Dunhill has done a a, a bunch of shell briars. Uh, the pipe that made me almost want to buy one, except I knew it wasn't for sale. And I knew I'd get in trouble if I bought it. Uh, they've got a limited edition one. One of their ones in a little book. You know, they you know they do those little book series of pipes. And this one is for Queen Victoria, I believe. And it's a 
it's a panel Dublin that is got a little bit of a bend to it and some gorgeous coloring to it. Uh, you know, if anybody out there, you know, birthdays are coming up, Christmas is coming up, um, <laughs> and wants to send me a gift, uh, that Dunhill pipe in particular. And but again, it was just it was an overwhelming amount of Dunhill pipes. Um, the other very positive thing that I will say is that I was there on the show floor for three full days and I recorded seven different eight, 10 minute interviews. And by the time I edited them down, some of them are less, some were more, you know, whatever. Uh, it actually took time to wait for people to get free for the first two days. Those, those pipe booths were consistently busy and I actually had to schedule time on the third day to go around and get caught up with a couple of people that I just couldn't set down. So from a pipe standpoint, you know, th this is something that we all can do here in the U S and I ran into some international retailers. I talked to a couple of the guys that I know from Canada, uh, talked to one guy from uh, Colombia. Uh, there were a couple of European retailers that were there you know looking at pipes uh this is not just the big online guys that have filled up these uh pipe booths time this is all the mom and pop brick and mortars that were filling up their time and you know and, and again i still didn't there were a couple booths that i wanted to get back to and get a chance to talk to but it, they were busy and that was really good to see uh Max Stokeby, he and I, I had to schedule time and we got interrupted two times in our, in our recording that I did. And I had to edit those out because Max was busy, even though he was relegated to the back corner of what looked like a giant Cohiba booth. Um, but they were busy and that was really good to see. Yeah, I, I, you know, definitely walking floor. I walked by the Dunhill booth no short of eight times every time i tried to walk up there and have a chat they got busy with with retailers that were wanting to to buy uh to buy pipes same thing with uh with with peter stokeby um uh same thing with max stokeby uh same thing with half the i mean the ladisi booth was packed the entire time uh, yeah. with the uh, with gawith um, same thing, trying to schedule that. It was it was amazing. In fact, I spent a little bit of time sitting at, at uh, Briarworks booth um, just because he let my stuff, my backpack there as I walked around the show floor and uh, spent time sitting there every once in a while. Constantly had, had traffic there. So um, all of them were saying that business was up, so really positive. So a lot of retailers are starting to, to bring in some more pipes is really what it, what it seemed like because a lot of them were saying, well, I got new customers. Um, I think the only, the only, there's probably two new industry news, maybe downers that came out of this. Everything else was super positive. Um, was that um, you know SMS pipes confirmed uh, Beth over at SMS pipes confirmed that Lorenzo is shutting down their factory. I think it's like family retiring or death or something like that, and they just decided not to running it. Um, they they still have lots of stock of those pipes. I mean, those are primarily basket pipes they're giving out, and then. Um, uh, and then you said you had some news as well with another another company that was was shutting down. Yeah, shortly after we came back, uh, Big Ben announced that they were shutting down their factory in Holland. The brand would still exist, but they were the the, the manufacturing facility was being closed and going through bankruptcy proceedings. So uh, I'm wondering. I don't know all the details. Uh, I only know what was posted and what I read. But I'm wondering if it's similar to like a Stanwell situation where the Big Ben brand will be made somewhere else and sold through distribution. But, you know, that that kind of hurt me because I spent a couple of years trying to help relaunch Big Ben here in the U.S. And, and they made great product, but it could be just a sign of the times. Um, but then at the same time, every time I went to go into a pipe or tobacco related booth, those guys were busy. Every, there were a couple of cigar companies that, you know, you could have held ice skating lessons in the middle of their booth if it wasn't for the fact that we were in Las Vegas, but they were wide open empty. Um, and that was, 
Yeah, that was kind of uh, kind of fascinating to see because usually it's the opposite. The the cigar guys are always jammed and busy, and then the pipe guys would get really quiet the second, third, and fourth day. But um, really encouraging. Uh, some of the new Peterson product that's coming out, yeah, you know, the the new rustication process that they're doing is taking a lot of weight off of those bigger pipes and making those pipes you know, going to be even more comfortable. Uh, and it, and it's fun to see that this is some of the, some of the changes of the new ownership. Um, I'm trying to think there were, I mean, there was, you know, we're doing this a month later, which obviously at my age, was, a, mo a month later is really good for the memory, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was positive about a Peterson. Like they actually are coming out on time. Like so, the Christmas pipes coming out actually in time for Christmas. Summertime <laughs> pipes are coming out in the summertime, um, hitting the stores. The um, uh, they had those new pub pipes that were coming out that were uh, amazing. So seeing some really positive results with the DC kind of taking taking the, the reins uh, with them. Did yeah. you get a chance to chat with Mark Ryan? I did not get a chance to chat to chat with Mark Ryan because he was he didn't have a booth this year, so he was wandering around, and we crisscrossed paths a couple of times. But uh, do you have any news you want to leak or uh, drop? No, I I saw him, and I was like, oh, Brian will get to him because he didn't have a booth, which was surprising. Um, and and usually he has a very interesting take on the the industry when it comes to the FDA stuff. But I didn't get I didn't see him again. Didn't get a chance to sit down. And I was like, oh, Brian, I'll get him. Yes, yeah. we didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, and I and I think it's a, I think for the trade for the association, and and this is the thing that's painful is that, uh, if you're going to take out one ten foot by ten foot booth, you're looking at a minimum cost of about six thousand dollars by the time you decorate the booth set up product in it ship product out there rent the space get the hotel rooms for the extra couple of nights pay uh, the labor to move it from the dock to the booth floor yeah and one of the and, and one of the things that i noticed and i may or may not have said this before but with this show in particular uh i wasn't there last year so i'm going off of what was around two years ago and three years ago but there was really only a couple of the little cigar companies because most of uh, Daughters and Ryan, most of what he makes, you know, makes a lot of money off of is the little cigars that they make, um, all the accessory stuff. And, you know, the Perique is important, but you really don't need that to sell it to the five, six manufacturers that are going to buy a barrel of Perique. Um, but there wasn't a lot of those little cigar guys or what I call the other tobacco products. There just wasn't a lot of roll your own tobacco on the floor. There was only one booth that had a pack of cigarettes in it and that was Nat Sherman. And they just had like six pictures of them. Um, so it's really a fine tuning of the association down to premium cigars, pipes and legitimate pipe tobacco. Um, but yeah, I would have loved to have caught up with Mark and seen what, seen what he said. I wanted to try to catch up with Mike Gold from Arango and ask him about his point of view. Uh, I always tell people when I when I would hear there's a pipe tobacco council meeting, Mike Gold being, you know, running Arango is involved in that. I'd get the extremes, and then I'd call Mike Gold and ask him, and that would be the more <laughs> the more moderate opinion right down the middle of the road. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was also nice not having to walk by all the e-cigarette people. There wasn't as many, mm -hmm. um, oh God, six, eight, ten years ago, there were people selling battery chargers and those little vibrator things that you stick on your back. The, you know, the stuff that you see in the mall in the middle of the, uh, of the walkway, um, and and I actually enjoyed the food at the food court because you and I had lunch together twice, and I thought the food was really good too. Yeah, food was pretty, pretty decent. Yeah. Um, anything else from the show floor before we talk about our one our one little wander around Las Vegas that was kind of fun? Um, you know, I would say it was also I got a little bit more time with some of the other um, vendors that I don't get a chance to sit with, so I got a chance to talk with. Um, uh, uh, Chacombe and uh, the BC or Abuchi Chacombe. 
yep. um, our butt, butts are choking. <laughs> um, and and it was really really neat to get a, like a better view of all of the pipes of the year that are coming out for 2019, 2020. Those those pipes, you know, seeing the Nording one, um, seeing the Chacombe had some really nice uh, set of pipes, and they had a Christmas pipe this year. I don't remember seeing one last year. Um, so that was, that was pretty good. And I would say I only smoked one cigar um, this show. No, I smoked two, but I only remember one cigar, and it's the one that Shane Ireland gave me. It was a Toscano Classico. It's a little, it was one of those little mini cigars. But I'm sitting there smoking it at the booth and enjoying the heck out of it. And another, um, another cigar guy comes up to buy some pipes, his retail shop he's like is that a toscano i was like yes he's like oh i heard good things about him well it's amazing it was funny just the look of this cigar it's a it's a it's a small cigar thinly wrapped just amazing flavor i think pipe stokers would would appreciate that um and and that that was my surprise because i'm generally not a huge cigar smoker but uh um it, it stuck out and, and Shane's like, I, I love these. I smoke them all the time. So there you go. <laughs> I got, I got handed probably 10, 12 cigars. I smoked one, brought one home and gave the rest away to people that I thought might either enjoy them or didn't have any taste and wouldn't mind the fact that they were <laughs> bad cigars. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I, Las Vegas and I, you know, I didn't need any more cigars. So, um, but then the, uh, the second night we were there, you and I went out to, uh, go take a little walk around and primarily what the, the target was to go primarily look at, uh, watch stores, but to get out there and wander around. And, um, besides ending up, you know, touching and feeling a couple of watches that were like 50, $60,000. And I was, yeah. A little nervous um no we uh we we also in the in the in the span of walking which if you if i i like going i love going to vegas and i love walking around and sitting and watching people and finding people watching spots and looking in all these shops at stuff that you know i'll never own um especially when you walk into a store and they've got one watch in a glass case and that's half the wall of that store, you know that that watch is probably pretty expensive. Um, but then we had the, there was, there was the watch that, uh, that had, had no way to actually tell what time it was. Um, yeah, there was a couple of those that you, that were pieces of machinery on your hand and you had to really try to look at to figure out where are the hands and what time it is. Um, <laughs> there were some that were overly adorned with, uh, diamonds and rubies and jewels and all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and then there was the group of young ladies that were in front of us about three or four steps up the escalators that just decided that they were going to start, um, twerk dancing on the escalator right in front of us where, while wearing their skirts, um, and then we ended up in a <laughs> we we ended up in a brief conversation with them that suffice it to say I think they thought I was that cool old white guy um, afterwards um, and uh, poor <laughs> and poor James was just kind of just kind of there not trying to say anything and not get me we into trouble. The damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you get a guy from Texas to not say anything? Well. Get a whole group of girls Twerk dancing in front of them. <laughs> yeah, going up an escalator. <laughs> on an escalator. Uh, and then we went over for a dinner at one of my favorite spots, and that's the uh, deli inside the Mirage where they proceed to try to kill you with a massive amount of meat on your sandwich. And uh, neither neither one of us actually finished those uh, those ginormous uh, sandwiches. Well, Corn beef on rye. And then we ordered French fries to go along with it. Uh, really, what we should have had was uh, was defibrillators right there with us because <laughs> had we eaten them. But boy, is it good! Um, so yeah, I go to Vegas and I turn into a meat eater because all I ate was either In and Out Burger or some sort of hamburgers, and then these giant corned beef sandwiches. Um, and then inside the Mirage, we found one spot 
that was a nice little bar where we sat down and had a and had a drink each and we're just watching people walk by and I was sitting the wrong direction for the parade because apparently I got the backside of the parade going. But again, when you go to Vegas, you can find a bar, you can find a restaurant, you can or you can find an indoor bar area where you can sit down. And we both lit up our pipes, and the and the and the lady was perfectly fine with it. And we sat there and watching people go by. Um, you want to describe what you saw out your view that I had to turn around and look at because it was a because it's one of those things that you shouldn't look at but you have to. Yeah, this is definitely like the third or fourth. This trip stands out, and and you remember I even got married in Vegas, um, <laughs> but this trip stands out as seeing the most public drunkenness that I've ever seen. Maybe it's just because it's summertime, and I try not to spend a lot of time in Vegas in the summer. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting kind of on the railing of this bar and watching kind of the main thoroughfare where all of the gaming machines are. Uh, and there's a couple sitting there at a gaming machine and she's gambling and he's standing next to her and they've got, you know, a big bucket to put all their coins in or a glass as well. Uh, and this guy's getting physically worse and worse and stumbling around watching his wife, uh, play. And, uh, then ends up just tossing his cookies right there in the glass and, and puts it down and they both stumble and walk away. <laughs> and it took them 30 minutes to, to, to a notice it and then B come and start cleaning up. In fact, they actually, did they actually clean it up before we even left? No, I think we I just think left. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. They posted a guard there to stand at that machine waiting for the people to come and clean it up. Yeah, the and, biohazard. And and the and the guy that was having the overly the the guy that was having the too much to drink episode, I will give him props for trying to aim into the small cup or ashtray. Um, yeah. But <laughs> that was like trying to that was like trying to throw a, you know, throw a gallon bucket into a shot glass at that point. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was a that was a pretty normal night, and then uh, then after that, we both kind of went our separate ways, and uh, but it was uh, yeah pretty typical Vegas. If you watch people, you'll see a whole bunch of stuff. And lots of people passed out in random places, on the street, in restaurants. It's it was it was good. Good people watching. Yeah. Were there any? You know, when we think about, we went and looked at a whole bunch of different watch brands and, and you know, some names. Stood up. Was there anything that stood out that you thought was amazing? Um, yeah, there was a lot because the next night I went out again by myself wandering around looking at watches. Because I'll tell you this much. I found out a way to save a lot of money in Vegas. Go to In-N-Out Burger for dinner and then just go wander around and look at watches that if you bought them, well, first of all, if I could afford to buy them, I, you know, then I, if I tried to get them home, I'd be castrated. Or if she was merciful with me, she'd just kill me. So um, it was really, <laughs> it was really nice wandering around looking at all the watches. There was uh, there was one store that I went to the next night that just had some had some watches that someday somewhere down the road maybe you know eight ten thousand dollars maybe I'll find one on eBay, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, there was some nice stuff. Uh, and then the two ladies in the jewelry store that we were giving her them lessons on what was going on in, in the watch yeah, market. Yeah, the, 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 well, is this watch priced correctly? And Brian basically going up and, and saying, yes, it's actually priced perfectly for even matching the internet prices. The fact that they didn't know go and, and you dumped your knowledge on them was, was hilarious. Now I will say that, um, one of the things that, that happens when you go to Vegas and you go to all these watch places is they force you to put the watch on almost. They're like, here, try it on. See how it looks on your arm. Good, good salesmanship on a lot of these places. But while I was doing that, I was taking pictures and sending them to my wife saying, look what I bought. And getting the, you better not have bought that, I'll kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's better than sending her pictures of the girls twerking in front of us going up the escalator. Very true. Very yeah. true. <laughs> anyway, our wives are very patient 
my wife just ignored me at night and that was it she was she was like i know he's in vegas it's at night i'm not going to talk to him um anyway james i thought you know what let's wrap this up with a fast five final questions it's been a while since you've been on and i didn't prep you for this so you'll get the regular fast five and then uh listeners can compare and see if you've changed are you ready oh jeez all right sure what is your favorite pipe Mm, it's the one that Pete is fixing right now at Briarworks. It's a uh, uh, canted billiard or um, uh, devil ants. Ah, what is your favorite tobacco? Hmm, favorite tobacco right this second. I liked Penny Farthing, and it was at the show, and it was really good. I also like the double press. Um, but I'm um, sorry, Jeremy, I like the penny farthing more than the double press. <laughs> wrong. No, wrong. Both are Jeremy's, so you did fine. <laughs> I mean, sure. Greg, uh, you know, Greg has help from Jeremy Reeves, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite drink? That's still going to be scotch. I don't think it's changed. And that well, you, when we had, when we sat down in that bar, they had one massive ice cube for you that was pretty damn impressive because it lasted like an hour and a half. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I love those when you go to a bourbon or a Scotch bar where they focus on it and they actually have the correct either the round or the, just the big square um, ice cube. Right, that big amount of surface area uh, melts real slow and uh opens up the uh the bourbon that whiskey a lot better when it's time to relax do you prefer a book a movie or music um lately uh i, I used to say it was a movie but uh lately i've been doing a lot of audiobooks um driving the car sitting down smoking and listening to audiobooks um so that's changed a little too and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this one uh, i'm gonna throw you a curveball are you ready Sure. Do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory from your Alaska cruise? From my Alaska cruise, um, I will say it was maybe the favorite memory, but uh, the the cruise was surprising because you had actually said they didn't have a smoking lounge, and it turns out they did, and it was amazing. Um, there weren't a whole lot of people in there, and that was really nice as well. And the people that were in there were um, all cigar people, um, but really friendly, really con great conversations. But I found that my wife could go out and go to the salon or go do something, and I could go spend two or three hours, actually, while we're cruising and there's nothing to look at, sitting in that lounge, um, relaxing and enjoying some great tobacco. There you go. All right, James, it was fun hanging out with you. Thanks for coming on and doing this recap again. And uh, maybe we'll we can't do it. I can't do the trade show next year. That's my it's right at around my 30th anniversary. So maybe we'll do it again in two years. Sounds like a plan. Thanks a bunch, Brian. And we'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, We've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hope you enjoyed that, and thank you, James. Thank you, James, for coming on and doing that, and uh, thanks for doing all the great reporting that you did from the IPCPR. If you have not read his articles yet, uh, go back on to PipesMagazine.com and search them. There you go. And my friend uh, for music, my friend Dan Locklear. 
uh, has a new CD out, and it features Symphony Number no. 2, America, which we've heard on the show before. And I'm not sure if we've played this before, but there's a nice little piece on here called Hail the Coming Day, which is uh, subtitled as a festive piece for orchestra. And I like it, so that's what we're going to play right now.
Lemon's new CD on uh, from Naxus, American Classics, Dan Locklear Symphony Number no. Two, is available now. And if you want to get it, I'm sure if you went online, you could order one. And you can also find out more information on Locklear.com, L-O-C-K-L-A-I-R.com. What's this? A letter for me. In the mailbag, if you want to reach out to me, email me brian at pipesmagazine.com. That's brian with an I. Or you can post your comment on pipesmagazine.com and write on the radio show page and leave it there. Or you can do what uh, SmileyMan1776 did, which was send me a message on Instagram and says, uh, I started listening to your podcast two months ago and love it. As a 33-year-old, I find it entertaining and informative. And get this one, classy. Well, I didn't think I'd ever get called that. And on iTunes, a uh, special thanks to these two folks that went on there and responded after we got that one-star review. Um, But uh, G-E-A-D-Y, Getty 2019, says, Great interviews and content uh, makes my morning drive relaxing with a coffee and smoke. Um, hopefully, well, that's pretty talented to be relaxing while driving with a coffee and smoking. Um, I do it all the time, but that's just me. And then another five star from D Tom four, four, seven. This, uh, this is one of the two podcasts that have helped me tremendously getting into the hobby. I commute a lot and I've been really enjoying listening to the back catalog. It's like listening to an old friend talk. Thank you and keep up the great work. It's much appreciated. And I really do appreciate those uh, five-star reviews, especially after we got that last one. Uh, So if you can go on iTunes and leave a rating or review, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, More mailbag stuff. Uh, I'll get caught up on all the mailbag stuff when I get back. I promise. I absolutely promise. Except for this one letter that I want to read you from uh, Anthony. And Anthony writes, uh, Hi, Brian. I just finished listening to the Lucky interview. I was excited to hear that he went to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, as that is my alma mater. I wanted to let you and Lucky know that the tobacconist that he was referring to was yesteryear tobacconist. He will be happy to know they are still in business. I recently went there with my younger brother and bought him his first tobacco for a pipe I gave him. Uh, They gave him a goodie bag with a tamper, matches, pipe cleaner, and a small pamphlet of pipe smoking instructions. I wonder if this is the same deal that he got when he went for the first time. I enjoyed the show and would give you five stars if I was an iTunes user. All the best, uh, AJ. So, AJ, thank you very much. And how cool is that that he got his brother started smoking and there's still a tobacconist that will give away a goodie bag with uh, for all the new starters out there. So, uh, you know, two great things right there. All right. <laughs> um, rant time coming up next. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. This week's rant is a reminder more of than a rant because, well, I watch the forums and I watch some of the uh, Facebook groups where, you know, or, you know, pipe smoking Facebook groups. Uh, I, I watch some of the uh, Instagram groups and or poke around on Instagram. And a lot of the questions that I see are the same ones over and over again. Need help identifying this pipe. Need help identifying this pipe. Well, let me remind you all that there are two great sources for rem- for identifying pipes. Pipedia.org, P-I-P-E-D-I-A dot O-R-G, and pipefill.eu, P-I-P-E-P-H-I-L dot E-U. And here's my theory. Instead of answering their questions for them, give them the links. 
let them go figure it out themselves because, you know, give a man a fish and he eats for uh, he eats a meal. Teach a man how to fish and he eats forever. Well, that's what I, I prefer we do. You know, let, first of all, these are great websites, both, uh, you know, both nonprofit websites and they're full of great information. On the tobacco side, TobaccoReviews.com is a great website full of wonderful information. And you know what? There's a lot of data in there. Doesn't help with identifying pipes, but it does help with identifying tobaccos. So remember, Pipepedia.org and Pipefill, P-H-I-L dot E-U are the perfect places to figure out what kind of pipe you have and maybe even age date some of those pipes. So there you go. Just remind all your uh, pipe smoking buddies about those two great websites. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank James for joining me and hanging out with me in Vegas. And a reminder to, you know, that this year I won't be at the NASPC in, in, uh, in Columbus, but I will be at the uh, Core Richmond show uh, in October. I uh, look forward to seeing you all there. So once again, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to James. Bomba and dee-da, until bomba next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to the Looks like you're stuck. Can I give you a hand? No, Gilligan, you can't give me a hand. But I would appreciate it if you'd put your neck right in there.